Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Con Report wherever you get your podcasts, and you can subscribe to us on YouTube via Empire Media. That's A M P I R E. You want to see what I look like when I don't shave for a week? Now you can. It's not pretty, folks. Today, I'm joined by ESPN reporter Tim McManus, who covered Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. I know I had a podcast with Logan Paulson the other on the day of the trade, talking about what went what Wentz means on the field, but I wanted to bring Tim on because he was there during Wentz's reign with Philly and has good insight into what happened. You can follow Tim on Twitter at Tim underscore McManus, M-C-M-A-N-U-S. You can read both our work on ESPN.com. I have a reaction piece up now to the Wentz deal. Before I play my conversation, a couple things. Washington expects to release safety Landon Collins because they couldn't work out a pay cut That was palatable to both sides. In previous podcasts, I told you this likely would happen in part because he's a prideful guy. Look at how he didn't want anything to do with the word linebacker. And he was concerned how it would appear in the locker room if he returned on a big pay cut. What would teammates say about him? The reality is he's a smart player that others respected. I don't think that would change. But this is why pay cuts are tricky. Sometimes guys just want to go elsewhere and start over rather than taking a pay cut at the same spot because what happens is and what GMs have told me in the past if they see somebody next to them or on the same on the field with them who's making more and not producing and doing what they're doing they get really pissed so that would be that I can see that going there and again it's not official yet although by the time you hear this maybe it is not official that's what expects that Washington expects to do he'll be missed because he is a good player especially in that hybrid role but I talked to somebody earlier this offseason about how if they get a middle linebacker who could cover, it would give them three linebackers who can then run and cover. That would lessen the need for Collins. And I wondered if that meant they wouldn't want to keep him because that high cap hit of $16.2 million. The answer was they definitely still did, but at a reduced cap hit for all the reasons I stated, but also $16.2 for a guy in the hybrid role, it's an awfully expensive cap hit. One nugget that's interesting Washington has maintained contact with defensive tackle Tim Settle. I have no clue what's going to happen with him. I'd always believed he'd be gone. There's been no offer. My understanding is there's been no offer, and I have no idea, again, what's going to happen. If I'm Settle, I want to go somewhere else where where I can play. That was a big issue here. Um, If I'm Washington, I'd love to find, excuse me, a way to keep him around. I do wonder with the limited cap space now, if they'd be able to keep a guy like him. My guess is he goes in that $4 million, $6 million per year range. That would be tough for them to do that, but you never know. And that's why I think they want to keep contact with him is just because what if he's not getting the offers he wants and could come back on another one-year deal and maybe get more time this year. One thing they had this season, incredibly good health with their defensive tackles. That typically doesn't happen. So 
you know, we'll see what happens there. But I just find it interesting that they'd have at least maintained contact. They'd also like to bring back corner Danny Johnson, but I could see him at least testing the market. My guess is if you're going to bring back someone like that, it'd be a one-year minimum deal. Um, I was told they, I was told, and so I will see there. And then last year with Johnson, I thought Johnson did a nice job this year in a backup role in special teams. Um, but last year they signed him like a week or two into free agency. And so he wanted to test first. My guess, same thing will happen. I was told they have not talked to Troy Aki yet about a return. I don't believe there's a need to rush there. As of now, there have been no contact. Um, so again, we'll see what happens there. Special teams player, we know from scrimmage that it's been an issue. And there was never really a chance that quarterback Kyle Allen would return. They're not going to tender him, so that ensures it. Um, as, as, as Nikki Javala first reported that, but again, Allen's side knew a while ago that he wouldn't be returning because of all the quarterback chatter and what it would cost to keep him even at a um, if you tendered him at the um, un, 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 undrafted rate. And not you know, especially now with Washington wanting to add another veteran quarterback and then perhaps draft someone. That was the thought um, a week or two ago when I talked to some people on that side. And even with Wentz, Carson Wentz here now, the desire to draft somebody hasn't really died. As I told you before, falls right, they can still draft a quarterback at some point. I'm not going to dismiss it anywhere. The goal has long been to pair a vet with a rookie at all, if at all possible, and someone with a similar play style. I'm not sure yet where things stand with Cornelius Lucas. He's another who could go somewhere else to see if he can get more time. He's been a valuable third tackle here. I definitely know they want Cam Sims back and have communicated that to him. As with, and then with Adam Humphreys, there was a mention, there has been some dialogue there. Um, I also know that they like Dax Mill and how he progressed. I'd bring back Humphreys if he wants to return. I think he was a very valuable piece for them, and especially in those third down situations. I know there was an issue with Taylor Heineke being able to find Humphreys over the middle. That's an area he works well, meaning Humphreys. In fact, Humphreys caught just one pass over the middle all season compared to 26 on the outside, and he finished with 41. With Wentz, I'm guessing that figure would be different. Not yet sure how that impacts Humphrey's thinking. Clearly, he would want to go somewhere where he's going to have good quarterback play because it boosts his numbers, which then helps his contract. As I've told you before, they want to keep Bobby McCain and J.D. McKissick. Clearly, to this point, nothing has happened, but the desire is to keep them. With McKissick, I do wonder about that neck injury, but I do know they'd like him back. But until they get it done, it's just talk. Losing both players would create holes that they must fill. So even if you let them walk, it's not like you're saving anything. You have to go find replacements. I think they'll try to find another running back, even if they keep McKissick, but they do not have his replacement on the roster. Jarrett Patterson, I do not view. I don't think they view as that guy. Now, I think Patterson did some nice things. I think he has some skills to offer, but I think they're still going to try and upgrade, even if they have McKissick and Gibson and as far as finding another backup in case something happens with Gibson. Patterson's a very good story, but again, they'd have to replace McKissick, whether in free agency and or the draft. The same is true of McCain. They don't have his replacement on the roster. He was a good voice for them in the secondary. His play improved over the second half of the year. He's, is he the greatest safety? No, but the point is if he's gone, they still have to find someone else. And I do think they find a way to keep Joey Sly around. He did a nice job for them and they know it. The question will be whether or not they can sign him to a deal or not. If not, they can slap a tender offer on him since he's a restricted free agent. But I'd be surprised if he's anywhere other than Washington next season. Again, good job for them. They made the mistake in not cutting Hopkins, Dustin Hopkins, but how they replaced him. Sly did a really nice job filling in after that 
and you don't want to let him get away. All right, that's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Tim McManus as we dig deeper into Carson Wentz. What went wrong in Philadelphia and what it might mean for Washington. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strength for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for being a sponsor of our show. Welcome back. Now, here's ESPN's Tim McManus. All right, Tim. Well, you have lived the highs and the lows of the Carson Wentz era and and the experience. And so now we're going to get to experience that here. Let's start with what, first of all, what did you think of this move by Washington? From Washington's standpoint, they needed a quarterback. Um, you know, you see the top two guys sort of go off the board with Aaron Rodgers and, and Russell Wilson. And so you got to go to the plan, plan B or plan C. And when you look at the the landscape out there, it's, it's not pretty, John. Um, so, you know, this is what, you know, these types of teams that are, are hungry for quarterbacks are going to have to do. And, uh, you know, so if you're spending a couple third round picks or maybe a potential second round pick to get a guy that you probably recognize, um, you know, it's like a 50, 50 shot, maybe at best as to whether he's going to pan out. Um, you kind of roll the dice because the teams that don't have one are, are always kind of climbing uphill to try to get one. How hard are the Eagles looking right now? Do you think? I think that they're looking. Um, we know that uh, last off season, they were looking very seriously at Deshaun Watson and um, you know, he, he at the time was preferring Miami 
And maybe all that kind of still is in play where, where Watson, you know, just doesn't want to come to Philly or he's got his specific things. And of course, you know, first and foremost, it's, it's let's figure out what's happening uh, with the civil lawsuits and potentially on the criminal side with him. That's, you know, that, that takes priority just across the board, but if that were to work and, you know, work out in some, some kind of way where he was cleared and, you know, we know that the Eagles have done a, a whole lot of homework, but I don't think that they are in a position where they have to force anything because there are definitely people in the building uh, that are high on Hertz, you know, guiding the, the team into the playoffs for the first time as a 23 year old first time starter. And, uh, and they feel fine with what he can bring to the table if they have to wait another year or, you know, just kind of be patient and see what happens with him. So I would say, you know, the ball's still up in the air when it comes to the Eagles and quarterbacks. So looking at Carson Wentz, you were there for the highs and the lows and what happened. Um, so what, how can you sum up that whole experience? And like, what is Washington getting in this guy, the whole package? Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously, there's a lot there. I mean, first and foremost, you know, he came in, like gangbusters into Philadelphia in that 2017 season, he looked like he was going to be like a top five quarterback in the league. He was going to win the MVP that year if he didn't tear his ACL, but he did. And things started kind of going downhill for him after that, you know, the, the next year you know, he had a, you know, a discovered a, a fracture in his back. And between that, I think in the, in the ACL and he, he had a concussion against the Seahawks in the playoffs the next year, there was always kind of this injury thing. I think that especially the knee injury, uh, he wasn't able to get back to that kind of crazy Superman type form where, you know, 2017, it was like guys were, were, would be bearing down on him and he could just do a 180 spin out. And then he's got a cornerback around his legs and he just breaks through that. And then he chucks 150 yards down the field for a touchdown. Like that was a big part of the offense. There was a lot of magic that was happening with Wentz. He's not physically the same guy anymore. I don't know that he knows that, um, at least by the way that he goes about his business on the field. And that could be really frustrating. So before where if coaches are giving him pointers, um, and he's not he's not doing everything that they're asking of him. Well, the end result's really good anyway, because he's improvising and he's able to create plays with his athleticism and his strong arm. Uh, if that athleticism dips and he's still not listening to the coaches and he still thinks he's kind of that Superman, then what you're seeing is a poor result where he's getting caught from behind. Now, all of a sudden, you know, he's not able to escape and there's a sack fumble there's a bad interception, those types of deals. And so frustration creeps in, you know, I think that that coaches were frustrated that he wasn't listening uh, to them as intently as he should have been. That led to frustration from players who knew that he wasn't, you know, kind of painting within, within the, uh, the box where he, he needed to, uh, he lost trust in the organization here. Um, I think especially after they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round and didn't feel like the communication was where it needed to be. And so a disconnect started to form on both sides there. The end result with, uh, you know, with a divorce uh, between player and team in Philly. And, you know, by the looks of it on the outside, some of the similar frustrations that Philadelphia was experiencing with Wentz uh, started to creep in in Indianapolis. You you wrote a really good story on on Wentz last year talking about the high IQ. For people who want to Google this, I think it was a, about it was a year or so ago um, before he got dealt. Um, what about that high IQ and how did that help and hurt him? 
So the way that it, it helps him is that, and that's one of the things that the Eagles were blown away by during the pre-draft process and why they decided to draft him second overall, John, is because, you know, they, they got him on a whiteboard and he just tore it up. Like he, you know, his, his, um, some people think he has a photographic memory, um, that he's just able to kind of absorb everything and he's able to, you know, he, he just knows football at a, a super high level, the way that that works against him is sometimes like, I feel like he's almost too smart where he, and he's also, and if you marriage, marry that with um, how strong the strong convictions that he has, and you'll find that like across the board, he has like, he has strong convictions and principles. And I think when you have like a, a guy with really strong convictions with that kind of intelligence, maybe that works against you where you feel like I know what I'm doing. Right. Like, I know what I'm doing. And, and so maybe you maybe you don't hear the coaches the way that you need to. Right. Maybe you don't feel like you need the hard coaching because you already got it. You got it in your head. But the bottom line is it's the best uh, version of Carson Wentz was when John Filippo was his quarterback's coach and he got on him. Uh, he wasn't somebody that was going to let him. Uh, you know, kind of dictate everything. And he was going to make sure that even if he got resistance from Winston, he was going to keep on him and keep on him, keep on him. Um, and that was a nice balance with that. And then Reich and Doug Peterson on the other side of that, right. where they're maybe a little bit more coaxing. And when he lost, when he lost that dynamic, I think it was bad for him, even though he didn't think necessarily it, it was, um, he needs somebody to coach him hard. And the biggest detriment to his advancement in the NFL has not, has been not accepting that, uh, not letting the coaches in and not, and not, you know, always thinking that you have the answers. And how does that play out in the locker room too? And you brought up that earlier, but how did that play out with guys that, when they know this, because players always know this stuff. So did he have, did he have like, you know, was he just more of a small circle group of friends kind of guy? What was he like in the locker room and how did all this stuff play into that? No, I think that's a good way to describe him um, as a, a small circle kind of guy. And so, you know, I know that there's been a lot written about um, him being a bad locker room person. That was never quite my impression. I feel like we've discussed some of his flaws and that manifests itself and can lead to frustration and alienation. But like, I generally view him as a good person and, um, and he has been very tight with some people in the locker room, like he, him and Zach Ertz in Philadelphia and Jordan Hicks, uh, Jordan Matthews. He had a, you know, this, this tight nucleus, but one of the knocks on him that even the coaching staff was pretty open about, even when things were going really well with Wentz, is that, you know, Doug Peterson said it, that he wanted him to reach across the aisle more. And that he's and Peterson said that's something that he saw in, as part of a growth in Brett Favre when they were in Green Bay together. It's him realizing that he needs to kind of wrap his arms around the entire locker room. And Wentz, I don't know that that's a comfortable thing for him or a natural thing for him. Um, where that's that might not necessarily be his personality, where he likes to kind of stay, you know, kind of in his in his in his tighter group. I don't know, you know, that he's he's learned that fully yet. Whereas it comes more naturally to a guy like Jalen Hurts. Like that's right. one of the things that people in Philly love about him is that everybody feels like they have a relationship with him. So that's that's one thing that's held once back, I think. And and I apologize if you're looking at me, I'm my head keeps going down because they are going to release Landon Collins. So I just was getting all this stuff as we're talking, which is not a surprise. Everybody listening, you shouldn't be surprised. Been talking about this. 
but let's get back. Let's get back to Wentz. And so when Jalen Hurts does come on board and, you know, how does that play into, to how did Carson handle that? And, you know, how did he handle like when Nick Foles is getting all this credit for winning the Super Bowl? How does he handle that? And how does he handle Jalen? And what does that say about him? It's an important part of the story because some things Wentz could have handled better and some things you recognize was poor circumstance for him. Right. So, so he's on, you know, the verge of winning this MVP and maybe winning a Super Bowl in year two, he gets hurt. Nick Foles steps in and guides them to the Super Bowl. That is an awkward dynamic to navigate as a young player, especially when they keep Foles for the next year. Wentz gets hurt again, Foles steps in, gets rallies them into the playoffs and almost gets them to the NFC title game, right? So they, um, so that was tough. And then that finally got cleared when Foles left, and then they drafted Jalen Hurts right on top of that. I thought that that was a mistake given the circumstances, not because Hurts isn't a good player, but because I thought that Wentz really needed to feel like he was kind of the – the center of the circle in a safe spot um, after trying to build his way back towards that, that place. And he didn't react well to Hertz being there. Um, they didn't interact particularly well together. I think that you had two alphas. Hertz isn't a guy that's going to acquiesce. He's somebody that's going to, that feels like he should be the lead man and, and wasn't somebody that was going to be deferential to Wentz. Um, it got to a point where Hertz started getting some first team reps during practice from my understanding, uh, Wentz did not react well to that. And I think it just – he further recoiled um, to a spot where he was no longer trusting of the coaches, of management, um, and he just – you know, the the more that Hurts ascended, I think the more that he kind of he – he recoiled. And, yeah, I think it was a, it was part of why things went sour in Philly. Are you surprised what happened to him in with the Colts? I mean, it's, you know, one year. And his numbers were pretty good, which tells you that there's some other issues there. Yeah, um, I'm su- I'm not surprised, I guess, because I, I saw how bad things were this last year, and I, I knew the difficulties, and I also know the the type of the type of conviction that he has. He's not somebody that's going to change what he does or who he is overnight, maybe ever. Um, so I wasn't surprised from that respect. But you know, Reich is his guy. Like right. that's his. That's his guy. Um, and that was a good situation to be in, like a mid-level market with a good offensive line, uh, a solid organization with a head coach that 100% has your back. And for them to just be like done with them after one season. And like you said, even though Jackson, that Jacksonville game was a disaster, the season was not a disaster from a quarterback perspective. Like his numbers weren't that bad. It tells you that it ran deeper than that. It tells you that, you know, that they, the, some of the same things that Philly was feeling um, and the coaching staff was feeling that it, it happened again in Indianapolis. So it gets to this point now, John, where you only have so many chances, like as hard up as a lot of these teams are for good quarterbacks. Like if you, you know, if, if the bridge gets burned in Philly and it gets burned in Indianapolis and now you're in Washington and you have a chance to be a starter, like this could be his last chance. This might be his last chance to be a starting quarterback in the league. And if you're ever going to be humbled, like now's the time for him to be humbled. But I was it's, just going to ask you that if you think that's can that, you know, and everybody and you describing this story and I've heard the same thing, type A personality, um, very driven with that. And, you know, can can he be humbled that way? I guess we'll find out because there's no 
there's, you know, kind of hard to know until we see what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's the best case scenario for Washington. Like if you're looking for a reason why it's going to work out, it's going to be because maybe he felt exiting Philadelphia that it was Philadelphia's problem. And then he gets to Indy and he's like, okay, now I'm going to still do it the same way. And now we'll see. And then it turns out that no, it wasn't an Indianapolis problem. It was a Carson Wentz problem. And so he, he comes to Washington and it's like, here's your last shot. Are you, are you going to make the changes that people have been kind of putting out in bright lights that you need to make in order to, to be successful um, and to be the kind of leader that you need to be? And so um, that has to be the hope for Washington fans is that if that part clicks, then there's so much else with Wentz that he brings to the table that he could be, um, a, you know, a really good starter for them. So that's, you know, that's what they have to hope for. And the last thing I was going to say, like the way this NFC East is, it is conceivable that he becomes the second best quarterback in this division, barring if it stays the way it is now. I mean, it is, is that inconceivable? Or what do you, can you see that? Or is that just being a leap of faith on Washington's part? Well, yeah, I mean, this isn't the NFC West, right? So uh, yeah. Or the AFC West. So it's like, yes, of course um, he can, he can ascend to that. And it wasn't that long ago that, like there was a legitimate debate whether who was who was the better quarterback between he and Dak Prescott. Yeah, like that was and, and he and he was winning that for a while for that debate. Um, you know, so there there is good in him. And I think that if you if you watch, you know, even how last year played out, you can see that. Like there's there's flashes of that ability of him being able to just fire bullets that like you know, not many people can do and, and make plays that few quarterbacks can. And so that's in him. He just has to kind of hone it and and get humble and, and bring it all together. And um, now we get to watch that unfold in the NFC East. Like, you know, this, it's going to be great. It can only unfold in the NFC East. You know, it can only <laughs> unfold in this division. Of course. Yeah, I had I was on a radio show and someone was like, they like, I love the NFCs because the fans are all so bitter for each team. I was like, yeah, you know, it kind of is kind of true. I mean, I don't blame them. I mean, it's been a tough road for each of these franchises. Even the Eagles have won. Like they're they're, you know, it's you go right back to the bitterness. So fun times, man. Tim, thanks. Philly's a lot got for plenty coming. of that in them. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. Anytime. I Glad to be with it. you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Tim for joining me, and thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with another episode Monday morning talking about free agency next week. And we will do more bonus podcasts when signings warrant during free agency. Talk to you next time.